We pray now that as we come to consider uh, this your word about your son, we pray that uh, you enable us to see him clearly uh, for who he is and what he's done for us and that we will respond to him properly as our king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus has come to the end of his journey to Jerusalem. And he knew what was waiting for him there. Let's just go back to chapter 20, verse 17 to 19. A little bit earlier on the page from where we are. Where Jesus tells his disciples about what will happen when he gets to Jerusalem. He says in verse 18, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be flogged, to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus was about to enter Jerusalem, and yet he still went anyway. He'd been traveling for quite a while. Uh, Most recently, he had been through Jericho, about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And there he had healed two blind men who had identified him as the son of David, as king. And now he was approaching the city of David, the place where the kings of Israel were meant to be enthroned. And here in our passage, we recall his entry into the city. Verse 1 and 2 of Matthew 21. And when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent to his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and send them, bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So, they're not quite at Jerusalem yet, um, but they're getting there. And Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead of them to this village. And he says that they will find a donkey or an ass with a colt, that's a young one, tied together. They were to requisition them for transport, something that kings had the right to do in the ancient world. For he wanted them for his ride into Jerusalem. This is unusual because pilgrims to Jerusalem normally actually dismount and walk the final stage of their pilgrimage. But Jesus seems to be doing the opposite. And he's doing it deliberately because he's making a statement in fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew tells us in verse 4, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, the prophecy here, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And that's a prophecy um, that's uh, quoting Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says the same thing. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophet Zechariah spoke about God's king who would come. Spoke of him coming in on a donkey. 
Now, lots of people express surprise that a king would come on a donkey or instead of on a war horse or something like that. But, but actually, it's not that surprising. There is precedent. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, when King Solomon, David's literal son, was about to become king, David, in his deathbed, says, Take you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule. Bring him down to Gihon. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet were there to anoint him king over Israel. And they blew the trumpet saying, Long live King Solomon. See, Solomon was ridden, ridden on David's donkey. Come in to be anointed king. So, King Solomon had a great empire, but the king Zechariah was speaking about was someone who would rule the world. He would be a king who would bring salvation to God's people and peace to the whole world. Go back to Zechariah's prophecy. He says, it continues on. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. This king that Zechariah was prophesying about would have dominion not, not only over Israel, like Solomon, and the nations around him like Solomon, but over all the world. And he would bring his peace to the world by conquering it. And yet, he wouldn't do it by violence, because the chariot, the war horse, the battle bomb. How would he do it? How would he come into his kingdom? Well, Zechariah doesn't tell us. Only that he does. And then about 500 years after Zechariah, or a thousand years after Solomon, this other son of David comes into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey to be anointed king. Verse 6 and 7. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Uh, Jesus sat on the, the clothes of his disciples, which were placed on the donkey and the colt. Which animal he sat on, Matthew doesn't tell us. Right, from the other Gospels, we know that at least he sat on the colt because it was a colt that no one had ever ridden before. And he sat on that. Right. Maybe he brought the mother as well. Like he could, could transfer to the mother when the uh, young animal got tired. It was a steep ride down from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Or maybe he thought it was a good idea to have the mother along when the colt was there, being used for the first time. Whatever the case is, I don't think Matthew thinks of us, wants us to think of Jesus sitting on both at the same time. All right? More importantly, however, Matthew wants us to recognize that Jesus was claiming to be king. That is the king who would reign over all the world that Zechariah had promised. And the huge crowds that were flocking to Jerusalem because there was a festival, the Passover was near, they recognized his claim and they believed it. They had seen the kinds of things that Jesus had done. Why, only recently he had opened the eyes of the blind. Something that the Old Testament says that only God can do. Exodus 4, God says, Who has made the man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Something, it was something that would happen when God came to save his people. Isaiah 35. When God comes, he will come and save you. And then, verse 5, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. It's something that in Isaiah's prophecy, the servant of the Lord would do, the one who would bring justice to all the nations. In Isaiah 42, 
We read, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take my, God's talking to the servant here, I will take you by the hand, I will keep you, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. So Jesus is this servant, this king who will rule the nations. And so, verse 8, most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. Again, there's precedent. In 2 Kings 9.13, uh, people spread their cloaks before Jehu when he was proclaimed king of Israel. Because clothes, in the, in the minds of the ancients, the clothes represented the person that, uh, that wore them. Right? So spreading your cloak beneath someone is a sign of submission to them. The pilgrim crowd accepted that Jesus was indeed king and showed it by spreading their garments before him. Others cut branches from the trees. It's only in John's Gospel we're told that they were palm branches, which were at that time a nationalistic symbol. And for example, when Simon the Maccabee had driven the Syrian forces out of Jerusalem in 141 BC, the Jews celebrated with the music and the waving of palm branches. See, these pilgrims were acknowledging that Jesus is the king. And the palm branches give us a hint of the kind of king they thought he was. The king who would come and liberate them from the Romans. And so verse 9, they call out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See, this massive crowd had got excited. They were stirred up. There was uproar. The atmosphere must have been pretty, you know, pretty electric. The cry, Hosanna, as Christine says, originally meant, save us. Although may sometimes may have just been used to say, we praise you or we acclaim you. They identified Jesus as the son of David, as the heir of David. The one had God had promised would always have a son on the throne. They identified him as the rightful king of Israel, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. And so they announce the messianic blessing on Jesus. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is Psalm 118. Where it says, save us, Hosanna we pray. O Lord, O Lord we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of God. So this pilgrim crowd, they, they recognized that Jesus was the king. And they wanted him to save his people. No wonder they were excited. All this fuss and anticipation stir. Made all these crowds and the crowds of people from outside causing this commotion, proclaiming a new king coming to the city. I tell you the Jerusalem FRU would have had their leave cancelled. The people of Jerusalem and the leaders of Israel would need to make a decision. Who is this guy and what are we going to do with him? Are we with him or are we against him? Is he really the king that God promised or is he a pretender? He is politically dangerous. He will cause trouble. They're afraid he will, he will lead the people against Rome and, and then Rome will attack us. So we've got to stop him. If he's for real... 
Well, then we've got to hand over power to him. We've got to put our clothes on the ground, as it were. Let him ride over him. And when he comes to the temple, we've got to let him take over. But, couldn't have that. Too many vested interests in stake. So either way, whether he's a pretender or he's the real thing, he's no good. Lose-lose situation. And so we have to stop him. The coming of Jesus into Jerusalem stirs up the whole city. Verse 10, when the sea entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The crowds didn't think he was a pretender. Didn't understand him completely either. They acclaimed him as king. And they said he was the prophet. Not just a prophet, the prophet. Perhaps they meant that he was the prophet that Moses had predicted would come. Moses had prophesied in Deuteronomy 18 that the Lord God would raise up a, a prophet like him. And they must listen to him prophet who would speak God's words. And you know, they were right when they said that Jesus was the prophet like Moses, whom the Old Testament had predicted. They were right when he, they said that, that he was the king. But if the crowds and the people of Jerusalem had listened to him, like Moses had said, they would have discovered that he was a whole lot more. If we read on in Matthew's Gospel, as we will over the next few weeks, we'll find that he goes to the temple and he treats it as if it's his own. Drives out those who are doing business there. Now blind and lame come to him in the temple and he heals them and he starts doing preaching and teaching there. And when the chief priests and elders ask him by what authority he goes, doing these things in the temple? He says, what do you think of John the Baptist? If they recognized that John was the messenger that Malachi prophesied would come, they would have known because Malachi said that after this messenger, the Lord himself would come to his temple. God would appear and bring judgment on the temple and those who worked there. But, but Israel's leaders weren't listening. And Jesus had expected that. And he quoted to them another part of the same psalm that the pilgrims had used to greet him earlier. Just two verses before the cry of Hosanna. We read that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus would be rejected by the nation as king. Yet he would still be central to God's plans and purposes for his people. For he would become king, just not in the way that the crowds expected. Because remember how he was going to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to die there? Well, it might even be said that he went to Jerusalem in order to die. Remember how he said he would be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes? Well, that's what happened. And when they tried him and when they forced him to confess, he admitted to them that he was the king. And that one day they would see him, the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven. But he was not just the king of Israel. The son of man, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, is the one prophet Daniel said in Daniel 7, would rule the world. 
bring all earthly kingdoms to an end and reign forever. They would consider this blasphemy. They would condemn him to death, as he said he would. Remember how he said that they would deliver him to the Gentiles, to be mocked, and flogged, and killed? They did that. They crowned him king with a crown of thorns. They held him as king, sarcastically, soldiers ridiculing him and spitting on him. He would be labeled a king with a written charge placed upon over his head as he hung on the cross. Yet so frightening was the phenomena that surrounded his death that the Roman centurion himself would exclaim, Truly this is the Son of God. Truly this is the King. And remember how he said he would be raised to life again? Well, that happened as well. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He had indeed been made the king. A much bigger king than the king of a, a little country in the Middle East. He was the Lord of heaven and earth. He had become king not by force but by death. For he had become king by saving his people. As the angel had said to, his, to, 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 to Joseph, by saving his people from their sins. He is the king who answered the true meaning of Hosanna, save us. He rescued his people, not from the Roman occupation, but from the far bigger problem of sin and death and hell itself. He saved his people by dying for them on the cross. Before as he died for them on the cross, he took their guilt, their punishment. He took our guilt and our punishment. He took our place forsaken so that we could be accepted experiencing the judgment of God and the depth of hell so we would never need to the king died for his people and that's, that's the kind of king he is the king that does save and that king was vindicated his ancestor David had prophesied you will not let your holy one see decay and this holy one, this king, did not see decay. He was raised. And when he rose again, he was exalted by the Father and given the name above every name. For Jesus Christ is the king of heaven and earth. And when he returns, his kingdom will be seen in all its glory. And on that day, those who have rejected his kingship will be lost forever. But today... He offers us salvation, a rescue from the sin and death and hell, and a place in his kingdom. And we need to respond to that offer. For the question that faces each of us today is the same question that faced the people of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Who is this? If he is a pretender, then by all means, spit on him and curse him and exterminate him. But if he is for real, then lay your cloaks on the ground and bow down to him as king and saviour.
If we haven't done that yet, then do so today. Ask Jesus to make you one of his people. Cry out to him, Hosanna, save me. Let your death on the cross apply to me. May I be forgiven for my rebellion and sin. May I be one of your rescued people. Only those who recognize that all authority in heaven and on earth is yours are the ones who belong to you. I recognize you as king, that you have authority over me. So we are to turn away from living as if Jesus is not the king and trust him to lead us and save us. And if we do, then the king will indeed rescue us. He will save us and make us his own. And we will be his forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the king. You are indeed the king of heaven and earth, the Lord of all. And that you became king by dying for us on the cross, by bearing our sins and taking our place. And thank you that you rose again, exalted by your Father as, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to trust you and submit to you as king. I pray for each one of us here that that would be the case for us. I pray that you would work in each of our hearts so that we do that, not just today, but every day of our lives. Keep us in your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.